0: Hello, and welcome back to GCD Transmissions, the podcast of Central St. Martin's Graphic Communication Design Program. I'm Peter Hall, your host, and I'm here today with Jonathan Barmbrook, who's just flown in from Russia. Hi, Jonathan.
1: Hi. On a normal civil aircraft, I have to say, not on some super bomber. What were you actually doing (laughs) in Russia? I was uh, giving a lecture um, about my work, but also we work with a cultural organisation there doing a biennale about museums, so we had a little discussion while I was there. And what will that transpire? What will that become? Um, Every two years, they invite museums from around the world to curate a project in a museum in St Petersburg, so it's a very positive project. Uh, The last one we, we were involved with, we actually... Did an installation in the Soviet Blockade Museum, which celebrates the uh, siege—not celebrates, but commemorates—the siege of St. Petersburg. So, with that very heavy material, we tried to do something which was interesting, engaging, and and modern. And really, with that it's because I work with a lot of museums in America, Japan, and the UK. It's very interesting to see how uh, years of institutionalism there have created a completely different museum system and how graphic design is used in it, which is. Not much, really. <laughs> oh. And actually, graphic design is something that really helps tell a story and puts a context to an object. The worst thing you can do is put, uh, put something on a wall and say, for instance, this is Jimi Hendrix's guitar. Well, that doesn't mean anything. You have to tell the story, not just the story of the person, but the story of the culture. So it's working with people, helping them tell, may sound a bit cliche, but tell stories around objects. And the people that you're working with are usually curators? Yes, curators for any cultural project, I think, is are really... What's most important? You find a good curator, and that will really push the project forward. Particularly for graphics, we do a lot of museum projects, including the David Bowie's exhibition at the V&A, and uh, it takes a curator to really understand the role of graphic design there as well. Not not just for telling the story, but the power of, of branding an exhibition appropriately and making it interesting and engaging. And you had
0: a very uh, enlightened curator you worked with at V&A, am I correct?
1: Uh, well, the two curators, Jeffrey Marsh and. Uh, the key brokes well, and, did one of them work on the disobedient objects as well I no they okay. didn't it was um they specialized in theater and performance which Dave Bowley, strangely right. <laughs> came under um so i was part of the curation panel as well as being um part designer on the exhibition so it's very interesting to be a uh, party to both dis- areas of decision making And curators are definitely about a philosophy and a focus and the narrowing down of what you well focus what you include and what you don't include that's that's very important and most museums i would say they bring often bring designers in at the end and really they should be at the beginning so that the the look of the exhibition can really help shape the way the objects are displayed rather than just be a, a veneer on top of what's already been decided
0: What was the um, uh, sort of overriding principle with the David Bowie exhibition?
1: Don't make it boring. (laughs) But but don't make it stupid either. Um, The the thing about Bowie is that he took from avant-garde culture and made it really something for the mainstream audience. So it was important to explain those references without dumbing them down, as it were, and uh, not just making it something for people who really knew about Bowie but people who didn't and could find some appreciation of what he meant through the decades really and it was quite important that the, the exhibition was called David Bowie Is because uh, it wasn't David Bowie was he was still alive at that point but it wasn't mm. David Bowie was an influence on culture it's he influenced culture and this is what how it's working today these are the influences and this is where they're going so mm. to put it in a contemporary context is quite interesting but to have that level of even working uh with the title which actually Uh, thought up by uh, Paul Morley Hmm. who was specifically brought in for that it's quite an unusual thing I do think it was uh, quite new in museum design uh, telling a story a complete cohesive story
0: and has that experience had an impact on the St Petersburg work you're doing?
1: Uh, not really it's a completely different set of circumstances there's no no money and you know something like with a there's a bread museum and the Soviet blockade museum they're all uh, so there's so much tradition there of course there is with the V&A but uh, there was a, a desire to do something new I think there are so many difficulties there with budget and also politics of of course mm. that there are lots of other issues going on yeah. as well I and mean, we do museum work because we try to do work that doesn't harm the world as mm. well and I think uh, I still believe in this idea that museums are there to add positively to society uh, so it's one of the the good marks yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the scale of good and bad. I would
0: say. Well, on that note, I was going to ask you about the, um, your continuing political commitment, political yeah. projects you've been doing. Um, I, I was particularly interested in the resolution project that's ongoing oh, in Northern Ireland. Um, but also you've done um, Adbusters' work. You worked with Occupy London. There's the disobedient objects at V&A could be counted as political too. Yeah. Um, are there um, any one of those that you would say was the most uh,
1: satisfying or enlightening Firstly, I mean, I'm not quite as politically active as I was, I'll be honest about it, and that's partly because of Trump, because (laughs) it's it's beyond satire at the moment, and I'm not quite sure how to react to it, even a year on. Uh, And politics has changed just so much over the past year or two years, so I'm still trying to find my feet with it. But um, (laughs) in terms of the political work, the work that's most satisfying is not about the effect it had because I think that's very difficult to quantify it's about yeah. that desire which is not just about design but about all creative arts which is to tell the truth and I think the work with Adbusters probably is the stuff that I really felt that I could say what I wanted I mean the cynic in in me could say, of course, it's very good to work for adbusters in terms of your image, but actually that wasn't the motivation it was yeah. uh, it was about telling the truth and at the time being very angry with the design community about the fact that there was little discussion of morality when working for companies like Nike or whatever that uh, people were just so absolutely happy to do it without any discussion about the sweatshops or anything like that and mm-hmm. instead of it being a uh, the best client you work for, I thought it was the worst client uh, you could work for because it was re, it was going back, backwards, yeah. you know, it was going back to slavery and uh, nobody wants that. Really.
0: Was it interesting you mentioned the word morality because this week I did a lecture on the difference between morality and ethics okay. and um, it was quite fun to do because I was using as my start-off point Lucian Roberts' um, interview in her book Good with uh, the philosophy professor Anthony Grayling and he presents ethics is a sort of journey of uh, constant reconciliation of one's behavior, with one's beliefs, as opposed to morality's more sort of top-down finger-wagging. That's at least how Grayling presents it in its simplified form in that interview. And I quite enjoyed that idea that ethics is an ongoing project. And um, it struck me that um, yours is an ongoing ethical project. Project. It's not something that's resolved and it's not a thou shalt not kind of project. And that's why I mentioned the resolution one because yeah. that strikes me as a really complicated and tricky <laughs> topic. Northern Ireland, uh, sectarian violence and then what to do with those giant murals which used to almost prohibit people from passing certain areas. That's true. Um, how's that going and where is it going?
1: Um, well, the other thing I should say, this along with this... Uh, along with this maybe less intense political activity is a realisation as you get older that you—it it is very easy to shout, to rant. Mm. And actually, sometimes it's better if you say something positive rather than saying something negative. So I'm sure it happens when you reach... It's a—it's quite a positive midlife crisis, actually. <laughs> Not that you want to go and get a Ferrari, but actually you should be doing something positive for the world. So uh, the resolution was followed on with some other piece of work about um, forgiveness and so with that project I was trying to say although there's negative press about Northern Ireland still there's a lot of positive things that are happening and one of the positive things that are happening is that politics is history here and I almost wanted to make it a, the typefaces fossilised you know? <laughs> firstly because nobody was recognising them or the murals nobody's recognising them as worthy pieces of art which they are because they were still full of this political content and I wanted to say just disregard that for a moment and say these are products of their time and they should be commemorated f- for their time the typography exists outside the normal area of typography outside the art school system just painted directly on the wall and they're amazing typefaces so part of the project was to draw the typeface from northern ireland and give them away for people to do as they wanted now the content is still very sensitive and we wanted to see what what would happen actually not a great deal has happened putting <laughs> mm. <laughs> the typefaces out hmm. but it was a, it was really um, a statement of all the good things that are there for instance I also as well as the murals and typefaces it also included a, a few educational projects where I taught some students I took some students from Middle University there and we were taken around the main Catholic area main hmm. Protestant area sorry by a Catholic, former Catholic terrorist and I know that would never have Happened before, so there were certain moments which I thought, you know, um, it's right to do this project because everybody has moved beyond that state of endless bickering. Even now, although there is a problem with the, the parliament, you know, there's yeah. I still see a lot of positivity there and uh, people who want to reconcile rather than uh, go back to it previous times. Yeah.
0: And working with students in Northern Ireland, uh, I was interested in um, some of the tensions that you might feel as a graphic designer who's known for, uh, let's say, taking a kind of auteur role in projects versus uh, where you're a teacher and you're more facilitating others. Is that a tension that you feel or that you've resolved? Um, The sort of, you know, the feeling that you need to control versus the need to facilitate Dialogue and dissent.
1: Oh, well, it's always a balance. You know, when I was younger, I used to obsessively control everything. But again, you know, from the millimeters something appeared on the page to the content. But now, if you're working with other people, one of the most important things as a graphic designer is that you make it a pleasant experience and you value their input. Mm. Again, part of getting older. And so it was very important that students understood the complexity of the of the situation. and made their own response. A lot of the students I thought would be absolutely tired of the subject, but um, coming from um, Belfast, some of them, and some from Middlesex. But they had very new, entertaining responses, which I never would have thought because I'm so... I know so much about the history of it because I had to live, live through it. Mm -hmm. And just the overall reason for that, apart from the positivity, was that I'd done a lot of work about George Bush and American corporations. And uh, it was a return to where I was from and trying to explain a complex part of the project. So the, the next stage, which has been the next stage for quite a while, is to try and do some kind of huge infographics about all the different factions in Northern Ireland and try and explain how they relate to each other and what their mission statement is, that kind of thing. Because I don't think anybody's done that. It's such a convoluted place in terms of political affiliations that it'd be good for somebody to try and explain it simply, I
0: think. Wow, but that also sounds like potentially
1: quite incendiary. (laughs) It does. and I mean, language is political. So however you describe somebody is, of course, going to cause problems. So we're going to have to think how to do that. Uh, I say it's next it's been next for three years and we've made we made a start on it but it is such a projects like that are such a huge philosophical thing it's actually quite difficult to keep returning to it but uh, we'll get there with that at some point because it's worth doing that was one of the major reasons for the project that
0: was self-initiated correct yes Yeah. yeah
1: and I think it's important as a designer to do your own work not as people tend to obviously think, is that it, you know, it's a better place to do stuff. But actually, it does influence your commercial work because what you give yourself is time, yourself time to think and for a, an idea to ferment, and that will affect your commercial work. It will ideas will flow from it which aren't quite right for the the project, which go into it. And um, I just think you need that space sometimes because in the commercial world, you're very very close, and the time time taken is so small, often you don't get a chance to sit back and think philosophically about mm-hmm. design, which is, of course, uh, it's always important to do.
0: That makes me think about um, uh, a question I was trying to formulate in my head about the, uh, your sort of well-known practice as a typographer mm-hmm. um, and your interest in language, which yes. particularly came up with um Shakespeare project you did. Oh, yes. And this... To me, ongoing dilemma between the form that the language takes typographically and its message versus the message in the language.
1: Yeah.
0: And is it ever, perhaps my question is, is it ever possible for the form, the typographic form to contradict or undermine the, the message of the language or can it only enhance
1: um, well, it depends on the intention, I mean, and your viewpoint. A commercial message always, in some senses, undermines language because there's a, a bias to selling you something rather than telling you the truth, but then <laughs> what's the truth, you know? So um, the thing that amazed me and it initially attracted me to typography was that if you got the typography right, somehow the message would work and wouldn't work, which is over and above the moral uh, thing that, put in very simple terms, if a band used the right typeface uh, f- and you heard their music and they matched... Something amazing happened. Mm. So, the possibility is there, of course, for typography to uh, enhance and detract both visually and uh, in terms of of message. When I was at college, um, it was the end of postmodernism, mm. and all the, all the symbolism, classical symbolism, or whatever, modernist symbolism, were all those rules were sort of thrown out because people had to rediscover and one of the things that I did and I know a lot of people at St Martins did is talking about 1990 and in CalArts as well mm. was we specifically chose typefaces to get in the way of the message absolutely <laughs> and for people not to be able to read them because that's the point we were at the point of an excess of no meaning so let's take every meaning very interesting times yes so it can consciously be done As well, in that. Yes.
0: Well, and one, maybe one example of that, which I liked very much in a a video interview you did recently, was you described a crossed out word as being about existence. (laughs) And I thought, this is, my God, this is very philosophical because uh, if you cross out a word, it um, denies that it exists and yet it still exists there. In the way that, I don't know if you've read, Bruno Latour but he uses the phrase crossed out god to describe a kind of post enlightenment version of belief so after nietzsche um, we don't have no god we have a crossed out god so there's still the presence of god in our whole culture and society but it's been crossed out there room for <laughs> to-
1: <laughs> what a brilliant explanation it's yeah. much better than mine I was going to give but uh i think i think it it was about this basic act of creation, whether it's a typeface or any kind of mark. If you make a mark, therefore you exist. I think this is basically what you're saying. But if you cross yeah. out that mark, you don't exist, but you do still exist. Mm. Um, so that was the interest in, in direct relation to mark making. But with language, it is slightly different. Because you do want to know the meaning as soon as it's crossed out. Well, I suppose it's the same in a way. Yeah. So you say a word, but you don't say a word. But you want to know what, why the word is crossed out even more. It's also, which may sound ridiculous, but it's also about the parameters of civilization as well. You're you're explicit when you say something, where you communicate directly, and the crossing out is about the narrowing of the, the boundaries of civilization that we all live in. That does sound pretentious, I know. But anyway. No, but
0: we're, we're okay well, we can be pretentious. <laughs> we're in the uh, Central
1: Yes, that's right. Uh, <laughs> home of pretentiousness. Right. But, so, to me, it was that negation of creativity, and I think the thing I used it on most was David Bowie's cover Heathen where yes. everything was crossed out and that was and that was very similar it was sort of directly related to the title where Heathen expresses something which is against society so it was played with um, on that I did notice when I was about 12 actually when I wrote my signature I crossed it out really uh, yeah and so that led me on to crossing out with type of free as well
0: what are you working on now
1: typographically uh, that's a good question Question. There's a couple of things. Uh, we're doing some, maybe intellectually not so interesting, but we're doing some serif versions of our typeface bourgeois, which is actually our most popular font. Mm. And then um, going to do a, a lifetime serif font, if you know, you know what I mean, a proper text font mm. beyond Priori or, or Manson, just something which uh, I can use in the tradition of, yeah, he said modestly, in addition of Gill and Johnson, people like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, continu- continuing British typography, but to do one which is really well drawn, it's not going to be for a couple of years. That and sounds like a big project. Yeah. <laughs> it is. We haven't started yet, but we're about to. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, I in the typography, I I do I I always I mean I'm, I have to be more careful about this in relation to Brexit. But I always try and do work which is about uh, the surroundings I have. Mm-hmm. So ha- having spent most of my life in. London. Those—that is my visual toolbox to make my typography, and that's the thing I feel emotionally. So, this typeface will be the uh, the final uh, expression of, of that. I think
0: an expression of London, of, of well, an no, expression
1: of my interest in British typography. Okay, because I can't imagine doing that. I'm, Fifty-one. I can't imagine doing another one. Of <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh no, no! Life
1: begins at fifty-one. <laughs> yes. <it's
0: another> <laughs> um. And and how you say we? Um. I'm always curious how many people you have working with you, and do you also still do the um internship or placement system?
1: There's. I have nine other people in my mm. office. One of them is uh, placement. We pay them if that's what you're wondering mm. about. <laughs> <laughs> <That's always laughs> because uh, I think I. Uh, I don't go for the exploitation of Mm. uh, people working for free because students are in enough debt already. And we don't say, oh, there might be a job. There is the possibility of a job if it's right, because actually good people are very, very hard Mm. to find. And they're not hard to find. there are good designers around. It's the personality, which is incredibly important. You can be the best designer in the world, but if you're poisonous to work with nobody will work with you and nobody will employ you it's, design is about working with other people so the three months placement is a, is a test to see if someone is right and fits in hmm. um, and they may not get the call straight away but they might get it in six months or something hmm. something like that so there's a, a definite use for us and I don't think I mean uh, I'm really surprised people think that it's okay to they think they're a good designer but they don't pay people for working with them that's not about a well designed society <laughs> that's about exploitation yeah. so yeah we make sure we pay them and then there's a risk chance of a job um, at the end and also that they get something out of it themselves they're not just there as to work they're there to take something from it and say what they would like to do yeah. um, as with the other people you know everybody does different things but uh, it's usually you have to trust people to follow their own path and sometimes that couldn't be good for your company it could be bad for some of of course people leave but the important thing is that they fulfill themselves as well it's not just about working working for you i'm sure they would say something different if they're all here (laughs) (laughs) but they can't because they're not here
0: well jonathan thank you very much for your time i'm really looking forward to your lecture and um good luck with the typeface and the ongoing work in st petersburg thank you very much yes enjoy thanks this has been GCD Transmissions with Jonathan Barnbrook of Barnbrook Design. GCD Transmissions is a podcast from the Graphic Communication Design Programme at Central St. Martins, hosted by Peter Hall, captured by Aaron Peace, and produced by Tomaso Russo. Additional support provided by Kate Pellon, Pierre-Emmanuel Le and Lou Vormittag. Thanks for listening.